When is the last time you have ever heard a sermon on widows? Never? Right? Well, you're about to hear one this week and next week. So uh, we like to outdo other people here. It's just the way we are. We multiply. Uh, so uh, today we're going to be talking about specifically the church and how to care for widows. And right now, most of you, as I'm looking around here, have checked me out. Um, and um, I want you to un- really fight that drift today. Because I believe that God, is, this is God's word, as, as Matt even prayed. Uh, this is God's word, and it has something for us today that we need to learn. And even if it's to use a word from Stephen Covey, because, you know, the leader in me, is that we want to uh, be proactive, right? And uh, thinking, uh, forward thinking, because in about 20 years, this church is full of senior citizens, all right? And, uh, and so moving in that direction of what does it mean biblically to be a widow? Um, but then also next week, which happens to be Mother's Day, that's a free helper to all children and husbands. Next week is Mother's Day. Do something. Um, but Pastor Justin will be also preaching uh, this same passage, looking at, because there's so, actually so much here that we can't cover it in one um, passage. So it just falls in line. We don't preach Mother's Day sermons here, but it's, it's kind of cool that God and his sovereignty has worked it out, or we're going to be talking a lot about womanhood and the gospel and the church in womanhood next Sunday. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me. Stay there with me in, in the book. I'm going to be kind of going all over the place, and hopefully um, through God's providence we'll be able to see Jesus, his character, his nature from the book of Genesis to the end of Revelation. It's important this morning, as we do every week, to understand the context of this letter that we're in, 1 Timothy. You've got a young pastor over in the city, the church of Ephesus, and the church in the city of Ephesus is a church that Paul deeply loves. He spent three years there planting, pastoring these people, and then went to plant other churches. And because of eternal conflict, internal conflict that was taking place with false teachers, um, influencing people away from the gospel, leading men and women to do very strange things and believe uh, really strange things, Paul sends his young protege, this young man, the son in the, his son in the faith, Timothy, to go to the church at Ephesus and to set them back onto a gospel trajectory. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, um, is writing to encourage this pastor on how to shepherd this church back to its center, which is the, the name of our sermon series, Center Church. And what is at the center? the person and work of Jesus, the gospel. And so he's writing him to encourage them to be hearers of the word, but also to obey the word. And we've learned in chapter 3 that Paul is using this understanding that the church is a family, that is the household of God, and yet this household of God has become dysfunctional, all right? Um, It has drifted away from its identity that we learned about in Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians, they have drifted from their identity being in Christ and therefore had become distracted and justified in religious activity, yet they were far from Jesus. So Paul is writing this pastor to steer them them back. Uh, Last week, 
Um, we, we had some technical issues, so we didn't mean to upload it. Sorry if you, you missed that. But last week in chapter 5, we, we discussed in the first two verses this idea again of what does it mean and, and how important is the local church as a gospel-centered uh, family? How do we know who's a part of that family? Is all of creation, every man and woman, boy and girl who has been created, are they a part of the family? And we quickly saw, even from the words of Jesus, that is not so. That those who are the true family of God, the true members, citizens in the kingdom of God, are those who both hear and do, hear and obey the word. And so we talked about the difficulties and the dangers of just being a hearer, just being uh, an obedient reason so you can come up with all sorts of liberal things that you get really involved in because you don't know the word but if you know the word and don't obey it then you're just a pharisees and you make people twice the sons of hell that you are right and so we see this importance of this household of god and so though we're not going to be able to cover everything in great detail because paul doesn't hear um, for whatever reason, what's taking place in the context of 1 Timothy is that there appears to be some conflict specifically between three different groups of people. Um, there's definitely some, some issues that are taking place within women, uh, which we're going to again talk about today and next Sunday. Um, there's some situations that are revolving around elders, the pastors of the church. And then also the week after, in about three weeks, we're going to talk about the issue of how do we handle uh, slaves who are also a part of the family of God. So within the family, much like we would say there's a mom, there's a dad, um, there's sisters, brothers, aunts, uncles, I've got a crazy cousin, Eddie. Um, and so within this family unit, people have different jobs, different roles, different responsibilities, and how does that impact the local church? Now, my cars are on the table. Uh, brothers and sisters, inside of the text, we don't get every clue to the conflict. So you just have to simply say, we don't know. But you have to understand that Paul is diving into these specific reasons, and we must therefore, uh, it implies that there is something going on with widows. All right? And so that's why he's going to address it. He spends, again, several verses here, several sentences in his letter to write that very Thing. So over the, again, the next few weeks, we're going to look at God's specific concern for women, especially today, looking at widows. Next week, probably more focus on women in general. Um, with this week, we are going to explore what is a faithful ministry to widows looks like. All right? So how do we, as a church, as the family of God, as the household of God, minister to widows. So we see inside of chapter 5, verse 3, honor widows who are truly widows. Honor widows who are truly widows. So who then is a widow? Who is a widow? Well, this classification of widow um, is mentioned many times throughout the scripture. I'm about to give you a slew of those here in just a few moments. Many times in Scripture, the Bible, if you've ever picked up on it, you should do a word study on the word widow. And you will see story after story, experience after experience over the person that we call a widow. Now, in our, our modern times, when we use the term widow, what do we refer to? We refer to a woman whose husband has died, right? 
Well, within the ancient Greek kind of context, there's a much broader definition to this. Scripturally speaking, a a widow is a condition of a woman who is left without means to provide for herself. Again, that's predominantly done by the death of her husband. And yet, it, it, it could mean that this woman has been abandoned, that her husband wants absolutely nothing to do with her. So he has abandoned her. He is not pursuing the marriage covenant anymore. He wants nothing to do with his wife. He does not want to pursue her. He does not want to take care of her. So she has really and authentically been abandoned by this person. I think in even broader in a spectrum that we may even need to expand this to would be uh, the, the idea of a man who is incapable of taking care of. Um, of his wife. Maybe he becomes injured. Maybe she marries this young strapping man, but he, he, can, he contracts an illness or um, he um, hurts himself and can no longer provide. So how does the church, how do we as, as God's people address, again, predominantly we're talking about women who have lost their husbands, but it can include, again, this desertion, like abandonment, that this husband who just wants nothing to do with his wife can also be included in the Greek understanding of what it means to be a widow. Now, what's interesting about this is that throughout Scripture, we see that God, that God loves all of those who are within the bride of Christ, But have you ever noticed that God has a special affection toward those who are really poor? I'm not talking about the people who our papers write about, who stand on the corner, who are making like $40,000. If you saw that in the newspapers the last few weeks, and even our city has been putting up signs all over, please do not give money to panhandlers, all right? We have to understand, and if you you need to see this, you can go volunteer at Hope House. There is a difference between a professional panhandler right? And someone who is really poor. The Bible, Jesus, God, has special affections, not toward the manipulator and criminal. He has special affections toward those who are really poor. They want to work, but they can't. I mean, maybe they have an illness, a sickness, all these sorts of things. That, That Jesus, God, has a special affection for the poor. He has a special affection for the sick. He has a special affection for orphans and that he has a special affection for widows. Yet you have probably heard sermons about the poor. You have probably heard sermons about the sick. Um, We do what's called Orphan Care Sunday every November here, where we celebrate and talk a lot about what does it mean to be an orphan. Even the book of Ephesians tells us that we are adopted sons and daughters of God. And so we, we often will really hinge on and grab a hold of these other subgroups but one that we don't often talk about is, is widows, these widows. The Bible uses words to describe a widow like this. She is weeping, Psalm 78. She is in mourning, 2 Samuel chapter 14. She's desolate, uh, is that Lamentations 1.1. She's living in poverty. We see this in Ruth, right? We see this in 1 Kings. There's that great story there. I can't go into Isn't it Elijah who has the issue with the lady who's the widow? And she's got the young boy, and they have that whole thing about oil, right? And if you haven't read that story, hopefully I just gave you the teaser, and you'll go home and read it. It's really, I wish I had time to do it this morning, but I don't. I'm trying to do better by some of you, all right? So in this, um, we, we see these great stories of God's provision and God's care, right? 
One of the things that's difficult for us to not get, and I was sharing with some brothers last night about, uh, I had a little bit of tension this morning wondering if, if the passage, I can, through God's help, translate it to our understanding. Because one of the things that is very true during biblical times is that you need to understand that a, a widow, um, traditionally speaking, it, it would have been a tragic situation to be in culturally and economically, right? It would have been a tragic way of life. It would have been a tragedy in these women's lives. Now, the loss of anyone that you care for is tragic. But many of us, because of our current systems, um, can still be taken care of. But that was not the case in these women. Women only could have certain jobs, right? Right? Your husband was to provide for you. And so therefore, if you lost your hub- husband, typically, that sent you in dire strait of need and in poverty. And even in a culture, it's not like, I mean, if, if a lady loses her husband and she wants to get a, a job as a businesswoman or working at Walmart or McDonald's, in our culture, she can just go down the road and find some sort of work. doesn't mean that her life is easy, but she can find some sort of job. Not the case for a biblical time woman. That's why we see many ladies, when they're single, what are they giving themselves to? Prostitution. is a means of making work. It's a means of putting food on a table. And that was the only job that they can get, right? It's that whole thing about walking the mile in someone else's shoes. doesn't mean that it's right. But some women, not all, have been forced into this sort of labor, to literally take care of their families. And this was many of the cases inside a woman inside of Scripture. She would have been pushed to the margins. Much like if you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, if a lady is what we call barren, that means that she cannot have a child. Where do we see her in Scripture? Weeping. Culturally, what? Ostracized. She feels her self-worth is... is, is is resting in her womb, and yet she cannot produce. And yet when God has special compassion on a woman who is bearing, what do we always see? Fruitfulness. When God opens up that womb. All right? Likewise, a, a, a widow would have been in dire straits, especially if she had children. Um, this would have been just magnified in this experience. But what we see inside of Scripture, though, man, if you really want to get the wrath of God riled up, ladies and gentlemen, mess with a widow. Mess with an orphan. Mess with an immigrant. Yeah, I said it. Right? Mess with them. And you will see the wrath of God poured out upon your life. Case in point, I don't make this stuff up in case you're wondering. Deuteronomy 27, 19, Isaiah uh, 1 talks about, again, the care for orphans and widows, but the most kind of exhaustive wrath of God pouring out on people. Listen to this passage in Exodus chapter 22. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him. That's another way of saying maybe a a refugee, an immigrant, a, a, a traveler. For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them, this is, this is a scary, scary passage. If you do mistreat them 
and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath will burn. And listen what he does. I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall become widows, and your children fatherless. So what's God going to do to those who mess with widows? He's going to make your wife a widow, and he's going to make your children fatherless. All right? Very serious passage, right? Got to take these things into consideration. Jesus continuing this idea within the New Testament. If you're a lady, uh, not that any of the Gospels, the red letters are, are no more inspired uh, than Habakkuk, right? Or the book of Revelation um, or Philemon, right? Um, they are all the inspired word of God, but specifically, ladies, I would encourage you to do something, and, and the men as well, inside of this. If you want to see how Jesus treats women, read the Gospel of Luke, because over and over and over again, they are often the means of ministry. Um, they are the ones who visit with Jesus, and Jesus is encountering women over and over and over and over and over again. Inside of that, we, at the very beginning, in Luke chapter 2, we meet a, a widow named Anna who's fasting and praying, and she's given the opportunity to meet the baby Jesus and give testimony of his birth. Jesus, he protests against the exploitations of widows in Mark chapter 12, verse 40, and those who do this will receive greater punishment. So if you exploit a widow you'll receive greater condemnation, the Bible says. We see Jesus moved by a widow in Mark chapter 12, who when it was time to give the offering, gave the widow's might. And Jesus says what? She has given more than all of you. We see Jesus teaching his disciples um, how to pray. And how does he teach his disciples how to pray? He uses a story, also known as a parable, uh, uh, about the persistent widow. This widow is found in Luke chapter 18, 1 through 8. And in this story, Jesus tells of a widow who has been done wrong. And in this story, this widow who has been done wrong keeps going to the city judge. And he keeps telling her, please bring justice to me against my adversary. Please bring freedom to me. Rescue me, judge. Rescue me, judge. And the judge continues to do absolutely nothing about it. Again, she's a widow. She's a woman inside of this culture. He wants nothing to do with it. And yet Jesus says, but this woman keeps coming to the judge. She's the persistent widow. She keeps pleading with the righteous, just judge to, to bring freedom to this woman. Bring freedom. Bring freedom. Listen to my cry. Listen to my cry. And Jesus teaches his disciples, and he says, be like the woman. Be like the widow who will not stop pleading with the righteous judge. So, brothers and sisters, that's how you and I are to pray. Being persistent. He could have used any illustration and yet what does Jesus do he uses the illustration of a woman pleading a widow pleading with a judge there's this great story in the Luke in Luke chapter 7 11 through 17 and Jesus is on this busy tour of preaching teaching and healing and he starts in this he stops in this sudden in this city and in this city um, all of a sudden they stop because coming down the street 
is a lady by herself followed by a crowd of people and also a, a stretcher named a, a bear. And that's it's just a stretcher. It's a, it's a funeral procession. Okay. And they're, they're mourning and they're weeping. And yet out in front of her son is a woman. And she is the widow. She has no other family members around her in her, in her gallery. She has no other kids. Obviously, this is implying that she has lost her husband, and now she has lost her son. Because again, within biblical times, when you were to lose a husband, then if there are sons and daughters, what did those sons and daughters do? They took care of their parents until they passed on. Well, in this case, this woman has no other immediate family. There's no other family around it. She has already walked probably the same road with her husband behind her. And now she's walking down those roads, and who does she have behind her? Her boy. And the Bible tells us, I love when the Scripture says, Jesus had compassion. And the Bible in this passage says that Jesus has compassion on this woman. He has compassion on who? The widow. What does he know about this widow's life? Again, culturally, economically, society. How is she going to be taken care of? And Jesus has so much compassion that he walks up to the dead boy. And this is, this, is, this is Southern Kentucky paraphrase. This is the Eric Standard version. Hey, boy, get up. And what's the boy do? He gets up. He gets up. Jesus breathes life into dead things. And he cares about this woman, not just, not just her soul, which is the utmost importance. But he cares about the compassionate care of these women. He cares for widows. In Acts chapter 6, after the resurrection ascension, right? By the time we get to Acts chapter 6, the church is just, the, uh, the Lord is adding to their number daily. It's expanding and it's expanding. It's growing, it's growing. The elders and pastors have all of this social ministry that's taking place and the care for all these people that they can't preach like they should be preaching. They can't pray like they can't be praying. And, and the key component to that is, is someone's not being cared for. And who is it? It's widows. The first deacons appointed within the church are who? Men, seven men, to care for their sisters in Christ who are widows. James, the brother of Jesus, in his letter, what does he say in James chapter 1 verse 27? I mean, you need to get this. This is serious stuff. But we like to just hinge again on one portion of it. In James chapter 1 verse 27, it says religion is a pure and undefiled religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit with orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. A holy and pure religion is one who visits with orphans and widows. So, Case in point, when's the last time you visited with a widow? We all want to be there at the funeral home, bringing fried chicken and potato salad. 
But if you've talked to a widow who had a really strong relationship with her husband, it doesn't matter if it's one day or ten years, she still feels like it's the first day. And there is a great movement. Please, I'm not trying to lessen this. I'm all about adoption. I'm all about the care of orphans. But we have created a, a really boost in our society in the care for orphans and in adoption while we have put a stiff arm out to widows. And this has to change. This has to change. So we see within these passages of Scripture here this morning that God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, has a deep affection for, for widows. Women who, who husbands have died. Wiz, widows who have been abandoned. Their, their husbands want absolutely nothing to do with them. And so what do we, what do we as as a young congregation, as I've, I've looked through this through this lens all week and just wondering, man, is anybody going to listen to me today because this seems so far-reaching? Because to, honestly, we don't, we don't have anyone who fits into the biblical requirement of a widow at Mission Church. No one here fits that yet. And not to be somber and sad here this morning, but in the next 20 years, if I live long enough, we're going to experience a major change and shift. We're going to have our first funerals. We're going to have our first widows. Unless Jesus comes back, and let's pray he does today, right? Especially before a membership meeting, preachers are all preaching that. So when I was looking at this passage, because there is a difficulty here, to translate from that biblical mindset of, of this woman who's been abandoned and this, this woman who, who has been um, you know, put in this position due to death and death surrounding her. And so looking at this passage, I've just been getting to ask the Lord to, to again, to illuminate and to reveal, well, well, how does this passage translate to our current context, and specifically a church that, again, currently doesn't have any widows? We don't have anybody yet in this place. And, and this is where I want to spend the rest of our, our brief time here together is exploring kind of five insights that, that I think that this passage is, is showing us from the perspective, and then and Pastor Justin, like I said, will bring in some different nuances next week. So I'm trying to stay in my lane and not preach my pastor's sermon. So the first thing that I want us to understand from this passage this morning is, number one, is that God cares for women. He does. Notice how he doesn't mention the widower here. He does not mention the man who has lost his wife. He does not mention the man here who has been abandoned by his disobedient wife. They're not mentioned here. One of the things that we've got to understand, brothers and sisters, is retirement is not in the Bible. Again, before you throw stones at me, if you choose to do that, that's, there is no, there's no mandate for it or against it. I'm just saying from a biblical standpoint, there is not a chapter and verse in retirement. You know when you stop working? 
when you die, right? And we definitely, even if there is a, a permission to do that, which I'm not saying that there's not, there is never permission to retire from ministry. Some of the most powerful people in the Bible are old, right? They're older people. And they're engaging in ministry. And, and so in this, we, we see from this passage, though, I, I think, and, and ladies, I hope that this is just genuinely, you will not find care in the feminist movement. You're going to find care in Jesus. Because he cares for you rightfully. He cares for you from an perfect experience. He is the true and better husband to you. He's the true and better brother to you that God specifically cares. And as I mentioned earlier, go read the gospel of Luke specifically, and you will see time and time and time and time again that God cares for women and ultimately liberates and creates a system of living that is the most fruitful environment for a woman. That's why it does not tell you in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, for a woman to lay down her life for the man. But the picture is, is that a man should die millions, thousands, daily deaths for the sake of his bride. The second thing that I, I think that we can see here as point of an application is the importance of the marriage covenant and how serious you need to take it. It is not a joke. It is not something flippantly, no matter what the culture tells you to do, people inside or outside of the church, kind of going down this, this pathway of life that where the marriage covenant doesn't mean anything anymore. Okay? You did not make a marriage promise. You made a marriage covenant before God and these witnesses. Right? Now, we can talk, as I've talked about in sermons, my record shows it. You know what we do every day? You and I, we both break those covenants. Right? Our actions, attitudes, natures, all those things were two people, two covenant breakers, who are ultimately saying, we're now going to illustrate forgiveness, we're going to illustrate grace, we're going to illustrate love, we're going to illustrate reconciliation. And this passage shows, again, the importance of the marriage covenant. Because, again, why is God having, why is Jesus, why is God having compassion on these women? Because one of the measures of grace in that woman's life is what? If he's faithful, a faithful husband. He's to care for her. And she is, she has lost that. Brothers, specifically, I think that this passage shows us that, man, we need to make sure that we are having compassion upon ladies, that we need to illustrate what it means and to provide care, whether that's our, our wives, our daughters, our sisters in the faith, that, that we need to make sure that we are even taking care of them even in our death. I'm going to get really practical here for a moment, Okay. And, and please, please understand this for what it is. I pray that the Lord takes my wife, Laura, before she takes me. Before God takes me. Excuse me. I pray that too. 
all right? And I hope that that is a long, long, long way from now. But I never want my wife to walk into Kirby's and pick out my casket. I never want Laura Baker to have to pick out what I'm going to wear. And if she puts me in a suit and y'all say I look good and she opens up that box, because she better not open up that box either. And you all lie and say, well, he looks really good. No, I look dead. And if I'm wearing a suit, y'all going to be like, yep, where'd you get that, Laura? You put pictures of me on the outside the box going. Because I guarantee you that's a better expression that I'm going to have than. Right? Here, here's the reason why. It is, it's not a place, man, I, and I, I do. Laura is my best friend. I hope we are ride or die. I hope we get old, wrinkly, and embarrass our grandkids as we walk down the mall as I'm still trying to hold her hand. All right? But I pray that God, a measure of grace is that I think that it is my responsibility to take care of my wife in sickness and in health till death does us part. And I pray that God would grace me the opportunity to celebrate her life and make hard decisions that I hope that she would never have to make. And that's why I say that, and that freaks people out a lot. But that's the reason why. It's because I want to take care of her even in death. Brothers, you need life insurance. A measure of God's grace in our lives is that we do live in American society, and as much problems as I have with America, one of the blessings is, is that we have created programs that I believe have probably at their rootedness when they originally created probably some really biblical sound things, such as life insurance. I know of a family who... Um, Young kids, this is several years ago in ministry, who the, died, the dad died unexpectedly. A young dad, two daughters at the house, and he was, they were not prepared for it. There was no life insurance. There was nothing. And because of it, man, it has been a strain upon his family. And so, man, and brothers, I encourage you. Man, if your finances are not in order, you need to get those in order. You need to take care of your wife, all right? Does that mean that she can make more than you? Yeah, I think that there's, there's, there's room and flexibility and grace that that may be the case, all right? Especially if you brothers are in ministry, most of the time your wives are going to make more than you, all right? <laughs> Brian Lewis, um, thank you. At least one person's awake today, right? I, I, can't, I can't encourage you enough the importance of, of, of husbands specifically, listen to this. Verse 8, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, notice the maleness. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. What a serious passage. What an encouragement. And, and please hear me, adulting stinks. It, it is not fun, right? And, and for, for Laura and I, we just came to the realization, it's like, and me as the manager, leader of our home, is going, man, I, I've, I, have, I have had to repent to my wife and ask for forgiveness. And so we've been in the process of the last year of, 
writing things like, uh, you know, getting the right insurance and paying off debt and all, all of those sorts of things, getting a will. And you're like, I'm 26 and just got married. You should have got a will before day two, right? So if you need help with that, man, I encourage you, come, come speak with me. We use a financial advisor. They can help with, with all of those sorts of things. If you need some resources, come talk to one of your pastors. Um, even uh, Pastor Todd and Leanne, they've been even great inspirations to us. They've got a really good handle on a lot of those things as well. But brothers, I'm going to ask you, future husbands, you need to be thinking along those lines. If you don't have a ring fund, brothers, you better start that thing right now, right? I mean, you need to be thinking forward. All right? And I think this passage, again, why does Jesus have compassion on widows? And I know it seems like really earthly. I mean, he's Jesus. Some people are given the gift of singleness. But did you know that that's like this many people? It is a rare, it's like finding a unicorn, someone who's supposed to be single. Okay? You're supposed to be married. And, and that covenant of marriage is extremely, extremely serious. And so why does, why does God not want us to run out here and get a divorce? Because his measure of grace that is supposed to come through that husband and also through the wife is no longer there. Because that's his, again, his earthly means of taking care of you is through those things. And, and, and Jesus, again, I mean, he, he brings back a, a dead son. Why? Because of the responsibility there of being taken care of. All right, number three, the importance of your biological family. And we're about to tread in some muddy rotter right here. The importance of the biological family as the first line of defense for your mama. I don't know if you have paid much attention to what it costs to put someone in, in care. But I did some research this week, and I found a fluctuating variety of numbers, anywhere between $4,000 to $10,000 a month for your widowed mama or daddy to be in care. Do you guys get that? Four to $10,000 a month. If you want job security, become a funeral home director, or a nursing home facilitator. Because our culture, if you're not paying attention to this, brothers and sisters, you need to start paying attention to it. Because it's going to be the decisions that many of us are making and going to be making very shortly inside of our biological families. And, and again, we're talking about Christians here. And so there becomes a specific calling from the scripture. I mean, there are many things that I have to deal with as a pastor that I don't have chapter and verse on, but there's chapter and verse that tells us what is supposed to happen if your mama becomes a widow. You have a new roommate. Oh, she can't live with us. She's crazy. Mm -hmm. She is. Yeah, she's going to smell weird. She's going to do crazy stuff. She's going to lose her mind, probably. But if we're looking at it from a biblical perspective, if we want to change, again, American culture is heading toward, hey, just get so long, don't let them come live with you, let's just find a home. I mean, we make that joke with my crazy daddy every holiday. 
But from a biblical perspective, biological families, if you're in this room, young people, you need to be thinking about this, this mindset of, man, how are we going to take care of our mom? Now, I'm not, I'm not saying there never comes a point in time where there's a severe medical issue that needs long-term medical care, okay? Not saying that. But if, if your mama is in substantially good health or your mother-in-law is in substantially good health, it is your responsibility to take care of them. Chapter and verse. Chapter and verse. Man, when we were new parents, we made the mistake of buying a book called Love You Forever. Y'all know that book? Love You Forever. It's about this little kid and this mama. She has a little boy and she rocks him back and forth right? I love you forever, something always and be. I mean, see, y'all got that memorized, right? My son, you will always be. And it goes through about this mama, and she's loving on her kid, and loving on her kid, and she rocks him, tells him every day, I love you forever, and your son will be, blah, 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 right? And then he becomes old, right? And he gets a call one day, hey, honey, you need to come see me. I'm sick. And it shows this grown man, and, and there are some weird quirky things about this book, okay? Let's all, let's all face that. There's some, there's some strange drawings all up in that book. But there's a transition in the book where the mama gets sick and old. And he walks into her room and he picks up his mama and he sits in the rocking chair. And again, that's, that's weird. But he rocks her back and forth and he says, I love you forever. And this is where everybody starts crying. Forever you, you'll be my mama. Right? See, ladies and gentlemen, what we are not preparing young people for is the things that our parents did for us at birth, at the bookends of life, we do for them. And we live in society that says, no, it's easier to write a check so somebody else can wipe their hind in. And that's not what the Bible says. And so I want to encourage you, okay? I really do. I want to encourage you. You need to sit down with your family, and you guys need to have a plan. You need to have a plan. That needs to be discussed amongst all siblings. What happens? We have one with my mom and dad. We have one with Laura's parents, all right? I'm professional at taking care of people who can't take care of themselves, right? I keep telling my mother-in-law all the time, get ready, Kathy. She loves to hear that. My reserved mother-in-law. <laughs> she doesn't even like to be hugged. I'm like, don't worry. I'll be washing that back one day. <laughs> Merry Christmas. You get me. Wax on, wax off. All right? Let's be real about it, folks. Miss serious stuff. Hears and doers. Are you just going to be one of those people who says, yeah, I know the Bible says that, but I ain't doing that. Have you met my mother-in-law? Have you met my mama? She's crazy. I think that's it's an implied thing here. I mean, it's not an implied thing. It's a chapter and verse. You need to take, but if a widow has children and grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness in their own household and make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing to the sight of God. I got to witness this with my in-laws until Granny was 95 years old. Laura and her family live with their granny. 
And they did everything for that woman. Everything. To take care of her. Likewise, may we follow in the Spencer's example. Because it's a biblical example. Right? And again, it's tough. This is tough stuff. But it's real stuff. And it's going to happen to many of us inside of this room. Now, if there is no children, if children do not exist, then what's supposed to happen? Well, the chapter tells us who's supposed to step in as the family. The church does. You know what needs to happen in our city? We need to tear down a bunch of gyms and start using that money to support widows in our church who don't have families. You want to start rocking some programming within the local church. Start Xing out things that we don't have chapter and verse 4 that we get really sacred cow about in order to do the things that the Bible does tell us to do, like taking care of orphans and widows. Maybe we should have more orphanages than we do gymnasiums, but that's, I know we meet in this nice place and got this gym, and we've got two gyms here and a library, so I'm trying to be humble. So what do we do? We step in to those who are really widowed. And there appears that the conflict here is that ladies were running out on their husbands, that they were abandoning their husbands. Um, Some of them, they really were widows, and they're coming to the church going, take care of me. Because when we're talking about honoring here, we are talking about financial support. And that appears to be part of the the tension that's happening inside of this church. And so that's why Paul tells him, "Uh -uh, uh uh-uh, uh-uh, we're not going to abuse the system. First and primary, they're to honor their own parents. How do they honor their parents? They are to financially support and take care of our elderly parents. If they cannot do that, meaning everyone around this woman is dead, then the church does whatever means necessary to take care of that woman. The last thing is this. I don't know about you, but oftentimes in my relationship with Jesus, and this is not to lessen any of the practical things I've just said, but there are many times in desert seasons in my relationship with Jesus, I feel like a widowed woman. I feel as though he has left me. I cry out. I'm pleading with. I'm needing rescue. I'm needing to be taken care of. I need someone to listen. I need someone. And sin, Satan, and death will constantly come to us, placing us symbolically in the place of that feeling. Am I the only one who has ever cried out to God, God, where are you? We use this Christianese. I just feel like God is so distant from me. Brothers and sisters, though sin, Satan, and death would like to convince us that we are those widowed women, even though Jesus has compassion on them, may we be reminded this morning that we are not the widowed woman. We're the bride. That we're the bride of Christ. Inside of the book of Revelation, Babylon is boasting in chapter 18. In Babylon, this great city, the culture, is kind of poking fun at the people of God. And she says, I sit as a queen. 
I'm not a widow. In, in other words, like, where's your husband? <laughs> We're the great Babylon. Where's your God at? Where's your husband at? I sit as queen. I, I, am, no mourn, I am no widow. And mourning I shall never see. And then you read the next verse. And God destroys all of Babylon in one day, the Bible tells us. And then what do we get this picture of? Revelation 21, 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. We're reminded in the great prophet Isaiah 54, for your maker is your husband. And so guys, ladies, brothers, sisters, friends, in, in the slowness, man, there are dark days, is there not? In the slowness of Christ's sanctification, in the slowness of his return, God, why will you not just come back and fix this? Just fix all of this. We can feel as though we've been abandoned. May we be reminded that he has not left us. That his good character and in his good nature, he has not abandoned us. But he has come to us and he says, Hey, I gotta go away just for a little while. And I'm going away not to ignore you, but, but I'm, I'm going to go away, and when I go away, I'm going to destroy all the dragons before you get there. I'm going to build you a kingdom and a castle like you have never seen. I'm going to eradicate every, gen, every germ of disease. I'm going to prepare a place for you and this place, guess what? There are many rooms. I'm, I've not left you as a widow. But I've, I've left you for a moment as your faithful husband. But do not despair. I've sent the helper. The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to empower something called the church. And so they're to care for you. They're to provide for you. And one day I'm going to show back up to see how they did. What a picture of the gospel. What a picture of how we are to interact with each other and take care of each other. So, man, if you're struggling today, if you're in those desert places, if you're feeling abandoned, may you know God is, he's good on his character. He is who he says he is. Take your covenant seriously. Take your family seriously. Take your church family seriously. And remember, he is our grace.
Let's pray.